What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue a short sermon series on self-care. Last week we talked about how, uh, how it looks to ruminate, to spend some time on our own thinking and reflecting on things that have happened in the past. It can be both negative or positive depending on what you do with it, but even when life is hard, positive rumination can have incredible beneficial results. Jesus shows us that, and so do all the people who persevere through all the challenges by processing their grief and channeling it toward good in this world. It's a great example for us and part of a healthy lifestyle, but I bet there was more than one person last week who said, you know, Brian, I just don't like to do things on my own. I like being with other people. I like doing things in community. Well, today is your sermon. Now, just as important as it is to do positive rumination on our own, we need to be in community with others. We need the people around us. On this Father's Day, I think this is a timely message for the dads among us. A father can have such a profound impact on their family, and ignoring the people around us can be devastating. Uh, We catch a glimpse of this in our scripture for today. Sal is going to read for us from Luke. This is known as the story of Jesus healing the Gerizim demoniac. Gerizim is uh, east of the Sea of Galilee, a place with ten major cities dotted uh, by small towns. These are not Jewish people, so Jesus and the disciples are with people that have very different religious beliefs from them. And they meet the demoniac, a, a man possessed by demons. Let's hear our scripture for today from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then they arrived at the country of the Gersin, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into wilds. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding. And the demons begged Jesus to let them enter this. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. 
When the swine herds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in country. Then the people came out to see what had happened. And when <clears throat> they came to Jesus, they found the man who, from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothes and in his right man, mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerses asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to the, your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. And now the second reading is from the Old Testament. Elijah flees from Jezebel, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 3. Jezebel, all the Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah, saying, So many the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow, then he was afraid. He got up and fled from, for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judea. He left his servant there. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks to be God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, help us to be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Make us wise as we pursue health and balance in community with others. In Christ we pray. Amen. We are all part of different communities. Our families are a community. Our neighbors are one. Uh, even your presence here at church signals your connection to this faith community. And each one matters in its own way. Uh, years ago, I found myself in a unique community setting, one many of us go through in a particular season in life. I was part of a dormitory in college. Uh, Shen Hall had all the wild kids at, at my college out in western New York. Uh, every time you pass by, someone was shouting or they were breaking stuff or blowing something up. Every time I went by, I kid you not. Uh, I, however, went to Roth Hall, where I lived, it was a little more normal. Uh, students were friendly and well-adjusted and focused on their studies. It was a great environment for me, but one year my friends at Roth decided we should upgrade from a dorm to a housing unit. 
Uh, so we got one on campus, and right away we ran into some problems. Uh, picking rooms and roommates was a little bit of a struggle, but the real issue was taking care of the chores. We all knew we had to take care of this place ourselves, but who was going to do it? Now, the easy answer would have been to put a chore chart together, but no one wanted to take the time to do that. So, like in many college student homes, nothing happened. The place just got worse and worse as the year passed. Uh, pretty early on, I bailed on the whole project. I decided that since people weren't willing to pull their own weight when it came to responsibilities, I would simply not participate in the group needs. I took out from the kitchen drawer one fork, one spoon, one knife, one cup, one bowl, one plate, and said, I won't use any other dishes than these. I'll make sure that my dishes are clean and no others. I did the same with other chores in the house. I'll take care of my thing and nothing else. And how many times did I walk by the sink in that, in that uh, house, piled up with dishes, and walk right on by in my self-righteous attitude, thinking my dishes are clean and nobody else has a thing to use in the house. Now, reflecting back on that time, I am embarrassed at how I responded to my roommates. I wish I had been more gracious and kind. I wish I had been helpful and charitable, even if I ended up doing more than my share of the, the uh, dishes and the chores. But lucky for me and the rest of the world, I met and fell in love with a wonderful woman who whipped me into shape. Uh, my wife, Emily, has taught me how to do my fair share of chores in the house and to extend myself even beyond my own interests. Uh, she taught me what love looks like when your partner is sick or overwhelmed with work. Stepping in to help others in need is exactly the point of community. We are there for one another when we can't do things for ourselves. Now, at the risk of stepping on a landmine here, sometimes these problems of working together for the good of the community can be more difficult for certain groups of people. There's something called cultural general patterns, which just means some groups tend towards certain behaviors. Not always, not for everyone, but it's often true. I think the same can be true of men, too. Not all men struggle with this, but I see it often. I do plenty of premarital counseling, and one of the patterns I've noticed is men focused on their careers and women focused on raising the children as well as caring for the home. It's not always the case, but it's a general pattern, and that works for a lot of families. One of the problems that can spring up, of course, is that the workload becomes too big for one partner. What do you do when there just isn't enough time in the day to do everything that's expected of you? we might assume that our partner is the answer. In the 90s, uh, a book came out that was pretty popular called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. The author walks through the general preferences of men and women, and one thing he says is that men prefer to work on their own. Assistance from others is seen as undermining their abilities. It's like telling them, you aren't good enough to do that. On the other hand, he says women see independent work as undermining the team. If you aren't helping others, then you are being selfish. Now, can you see how there might be some problems with those two different viewpoints on things? It's just like my roommate situation. I'd rather have worked on my own, 
even if it undermined the whole house. That's not a great environment for housemates, and especially not for a family. So how do we get to a better place? How do we create better communities for our families, for our friends and neighbors, and even for ourselves? I want to have good relationships with others. How do we get there? Now, Jesus, he offers some insight in the story of the demoniac. Many people probably remember this story because of the man's answer to Jesus' question, what is your name? And the demon-possessed man says his name is Legion because he has many demons in him. Legion was a military term for the number of soldiers in a unit. It would be between four to 6,000 troops. So the man is saying there are thousands and thousands of demons at work in him. When Jesus and the disciples meet this man, he's living in the tombs all by himself. This is sort of the extreme bad version of what I, uh, we talked about last week. This man on his own stuck in his negative loop of rumination. Now, tombs were considered unclean and filled with demons, so it wouldn't be a surprise that there is a legion here at work in him. One thing we could miss pretty easily in this story, though, is that there is a specific kind of spiritual warfare being described here. The demon tries to get a kind of magical self-protection here by asserting authority over Jesus, but it has no effect on him. Instead, Jesus gets the name of this incredibly powerful demon that can literally rip chains out. Jesus casts out the demons, and the man is restored. Now, I know when I talk with young people about this story, one part always comes up. Why does Jesus let the demons go into the pigs and kill them? It seems so needlessly cruel of Jesus to let them die. And I don't know that I have a perfect answer for that, but I would argue Jesus doesn't let the pigs die. The demons kill the pigs, not Jesus. But today we usually think of demons as eternal beings that live forever. Back then, though, they would have understood it differently. These demons going into the pigs and jumping into the lake would have meant that the demons had died. You might even say that those pigs are heroes. They killed the demons, but still we feel for those innocent pigs. The man, however, has a complete turnaround. He goes from stark raving mad to a devoted follower of Jesus almost instantly. He is no longer the loner living in the tombs, but a disciple that will share the good news of Jesus' healing in the city. This is phenomenal for him as an individual, but there's actually even more going on here. Jesus tells this man to go back and tell people how much God has done for him. He doesn't tell the formerly possessed man to tell everyone what Jesus did for him. He tells him to go and say what God did for him. This is intentional, and you see this happen over and over in the Gospels. And there's reasons here, but I'm not going to go into it now. The point here is that Jesus is trying to correct a misunderstanding. These people would have seen Jesus as a magician. He has some kind of power over evil, and these people are scared. They want Jesus to leave because they see this power as dangerous. But what is it that Jesus is actually doing? He is helping a person who is separated from his community to be brought back into it. He is restoring the isolated individual to his friends and family, 
upsetting the usual way of doing things, it, that can be unsettling for sure, but this is clearly the right thing to do. Don't leave people drifting in isolation. Bring them back to the center. Reconnect them. Jesus is reminding us that when there is a need, we rebuild those social networks. We support one another for the benefit of all. This is what a lot of us need. For those of you that might be more like me, quick to look inward and take care of your own needs, this is important for us. We can even use that impulse to look inward to our advantage. When you are ruminating or reflecting on your circumstances, Jesus asks us, look, what are you doing to restore community? How are you bringing people back together? Let your introspection include the question, how am I helping others? Martin Luther King Jr. used this quote a lot. It actually comes from a poem by William Blake, a famous poet from England. It goes like this. I sought my soul, but my soul I could not see. I sought my God, but my God eluded me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. There's something about moving our focus away from ourselves and toward others that makes our lives so much better. We find meaning and value and hope when we remember that this world does not revolve around us. The purpose of our lives is to lift up others, and in turn we find God and we find ourselves. We see the fullest expression of this in Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus did not say, you know, staying alive is more important than other people. No, he said, I'm about to die, but I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. His death paved the way for a community that would span the globe. And instead of saying, you don't speak my language or you don't look like me so you don't belong the community of god says you do belong pure and simply because you are a child of god all it takes is a desire to be a part of this community and you're in i think of a family who just had a funeral for their father he actually lives right down the street from the church i often walk my dog right by his house he was a member here for many years, and his children grew up in this church. They have their own children now, and when I met with all of them to prepare for the funeral, they were delightful people. Even in their grief, they showed me hospitality. They, they shared openly with me about his life, even though I'm the new guy in town. At one point, the son told me, we are deeply religious people, but I'm sorry we don't go to church as often as we ought to. Now, this is not the first time I've heard something like this. Many people over many years have told me exactly the same thing. So how should we respond to that? Should we say, well, you better get back to church or God's going to be really angry? Should we say, your lack of attendance is very disappointing? Or should we say something more like this about grace, that God forgives? What's in the past is done. So let's look to the future. How can we be a community for each other? How can we bless you in a way that makes you want to be here more? When people are in their pain, it is not the time to pile more onto them. 
Now, I read earlier the passage from 1 Kings, which is the story of the prophet Elijah being uh, hunted by the queen. Uh, she wants to kill Elijah, the prophet, and take, and later in the story, Elijah has given up. He says, God, why don't you just kill me now? I am the only one left who is following you. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that. And God leads him outside of the cave he's hiding in, and there is this huge wind that is splitting rocks, but it says the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but again, the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then a fire, and the Lord isn't there either. Then there is sheer silence, and God says to him, you are not alone. I am with you, and there are hundreds that I have called to follow me. Whatever is happening in your life, you are not alone. God is with you, and in the name of Jesus, we are here to support you and to stand with you in your time of need. The last thing, uh, there's a woman named Sarah who got a letter in the mail a few months ago, February 3rd, scolding her for still having her Christmas decorations up. The anonymous letter read, Take your Christmas lights down. It's Valentine's Day already. While the letter would have upset her in normal circumstances, Sarah said it especially hit hard then. Uh, she had just lost both her father and her aunt to COVID-19, less than a week apart. Her father, who lived with her, put up the Christmas decorations immediately after Thanksgiving, as he did every year. So when he died on January 15th, she just couldn't bring herself to take the decorations down. She said the harsh letter was a major blow to her heart. No one really knew what was going on inside the house or why we didn't take down the decorations. She shared the letter in the local mom's Facebook group and explained why it was particularly painful, hoping that maybe the anonymous sender might see her post. She wrote, The family has been preoccupied with funeral arrangements, mortgage payments, utility bills, and the whole grieving process. So yes, we haven't gotten around to taking down the Christmas decorations. Be kind to people because you never know what they're going through. And the community was rightly outraged on her behalf. Within minutes of her sharing the post, dozens of messages flooded her Facebook inbox. Neighbors sent the family heartfelt cards, flowers, meals, and made a GoFundMe page to help cover the bills and funeral costs. Beyond all this, what Sarah will never forget is the many neighbors who put their own Christmas decorations back up so she wouldn't feel so alone. People went back into their attics and basements to get their decorations out again just for her. In early February, they redecorated their homes as a show of support. They stood with a grieving neighbor to say, we love you, we stand with you, we are your community when you can't handle things on your own. Doesn't that sound like the kind of community you want to be a part of? When I think about Grace United Methodist Church, that's the kind of church I want us to be. And it takes all of us to get there. We need men to stand up and say, we'll help. We need women to make folks at home here. We need people that aren't too sure where they fit in. And we need our young people, our children, and especially our littlest Methodists. They remind us that this world isn't here to serve us. Our purpose is found in serving others.
in building communities, and especially communities of faith that draw us to Jesus. We are the, to model our lives after Jesus, who would retreat to the desert and the mountains when needed, but would re-engage with the world to build healthy, thriving communities committed to God. Jesus worked to heal the broken so that no one felt like they had to live among the tombs. So will you commit to that way of life? Will you do what you can to build others up and reconnect those who feel isolated? Will you work to heal the broken and include them in your community? If you do, you'll not only help a brother or sister, you'll find God, and you'll even find yourself along the way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we pray that we might be a community that seeks you in all things, that restores the broken and the lost, and that says, you belong. In Christ we pray. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.